Now to transition, how's this? I shot the pier at Huntington Beach. Now what that means is that it means uh, catching a wave on a surfboard on one side of the pier, surfing through the pilings that hold this pier up, and then emerging on the other side. It's what surfers dare other surfers to do, and I did it. It's just I did it in an unconventional way. You see, uh, Huntington Beach was uh, a favorite surfing spot of ours, and I'd only been surfing for a couple of months. There was a strong rip on this particular day, which meant that the current was pushing sideways. So we walked down the beach about a quarter of a mile, entered the water there, paddled out, and then the plan was that with the rip, uh, it would pull us back up the beach to about the location where we were, uh, where the car was and where the pier is, so, and all that would happen while we were surfing. So uh, that was the plan, we went out, and uh, one of the most difficult things uh, as a beginning surfer is, is paddling, Be uh, particularly padding, paddling out to that set of waves that's the farthest from the beach. Because as you're paddling out, uh, other waves are cresting and breaking between that far, uh, the outside break and the beach. And as those waves are cresting and breaking, the white water uh, is rushing towards the beach and is pushing everything in its way backwards, including me. So as I'm paddling along, I'm paddling, and I, and I make it about 20 feet, and then the white water hits me, pushes me back 10 feet. I paddle some more, make it out 20 feet, the white water hits me, pushes me back 10 feet. You, you get the image here, what's going on? And as I'm paddling, somewhere in the distance, I hear somebody speaking to somebody through a megaphone. And I'm pretty clear that that person is giving instructions to someone, but I'm not paying attention because I'm battling with the waves. Well, at some point, I, I finally make it to the outside break. I sit up on my board to relax and rest, and I notice that no one else is around me. <laughs> then I realize that that, loud, that that megaphone, that voice speaking through the megaphone, is really loud, and it's speaking at me. Attention, board surfer. Stay on your board and paddle through the pier. Well, I look and I'm about 10 yards from the pier and closing in fast. I had completely forgotten about the riptide. Attention, bored surfer. What a nag, you know. <laughs> so I wave at the guy to recognize that I've heard him and that I'll do what he says. And uh, while I'm at it, I wave at everyone else that's gathered along the railing and is pointing <laughs> And then I stay on my board, I bang my way through the pilings to the other side of the pier, paddle quickly to the shore where I have a brief conversation with a lifeguard, walk briskly to the car, put the board in the car, run away and hide. And that is how I shot the pier at Huntington Beach. <laughs> Proud of that accomplishment. Well, sometimes life can feel a little bit like that. We started out with something exciting in mind, like a marriage or uh, starting a family, a career, or maybe a business opportunity or venture. But somehow it went sideways, and it was like the water was rushing and pushing us back. Paddle out 20 feet, get pushed back 10. Maybe it's your health, or maybe for you, there's nothing going on. And there hasn't been anything going on for a really long time. Life has become flat. It's lost its excitement, its significance, and its meaning. 
It's during times like that when our faith can run into a wall. Prayer stops being about seeking God's will and surrendering to his purposes in our life, and it becomes more about begging, pleading, bartering with God in order to get the thing that we want. Or the size of our situation seems so large that our faith suddenly becomes small, and it shrinks our concept of God into becoming someone who's reluctant, not so powerful, not always able to help us out when we need him to. Maybe it feels like for you that that God has walked off the playing field of your life and onto the sidelines, and from there he's sort of watching, but other times not, as the clock winds down and your life moves from play to play to play. Our passage this morning was written for people who are struggling with their faith. Struggling with their faith. Faith for these Hebrew Christians had once been alive. It had been real. It had been exciting for them. But somehow along the way, it had slipped into the shadows of lost conviction and irrelevancy. So the author points to the heroes of faith past. Heroes like Abraham and Noah. uh, Heroes like uh, Moses. People who on the basis of what they knew about God and his promises dared to hang in there, even when life went sideways, and courageously moved forward into a future their faith convinced them existed. Now, Abraham received the call of God to go to another land, and so he packed up, took everything he had without a map, and went to this other land that God would show him someday. And Noah built an ark when there wasn't a cloud in the sky. And Moses uh, took on the most powerful military leader in the world with only a shepherd's stick in his holster. And there are a bunch of others on this list in Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11 is about courageous people. It's about um, committed people. But it's also, if you look at their lives, they're people who were broken people people who faced some serious moral failures. Now, Abram often became a chronic liar when he was faced with difficult situations. Moses killed a man, became a fugitive, and David committed adultery, and then he had the woman's husband killed just to cover it up, even though this guy was a big military, he was a big lieutenant in David's army. These are the guys that are on the list in Hebrews chapter 11. They're imperfect people. Uh, it turns out there, there are no perfect people. There's only imperfect people, people like you and people like me. You see, every one of us is a mixed bag. We really are. We have faith, but there is a part of us that doubts. We want to follow Jesus and serve him with all of our life, but there is a part of us that wants to get the best and the most for ourselves. We want to trust God, but we also know how to get what we want and we can cut some corners along the way. No one of us has 100% faith, and no one of us is 100% faithful. David, Abraham, and the rest certainly weren't. But what gets them on this list in Hebrews chapter 11 is that no matter what, whenever life went sideways, they kept returning to the same thing, faith. Believing that with God all things are possible, believing that God will do what he says he will do and attempting what God asked of them. They were simply ordinary people who were putting their faith in an extraordinary God. 
Now, Jimmy Masternado was a nine-year-old boy who lived in Cincinnati, Ohio. And Jimmy was convinced that the state of Ohio needed a new motto. And so he traveled down to the Capitol in Columbus, filed there as a lobbyist, and for the next three years campaigned to change the motto or to create this new motto for the state of Ohio. It, uh, finally, his, his dream became political reality, and it was enacted by both houses of the Ohio legislature in July 1959, was signed into law, and the words remain to this day the official motto of the state of Ohio. Do you know what it is? With God, all things are possible. When common sense says it is impossible, faith inspires the uncommon sense that with God, all things are possible. God can take a nine-year-old boy and make him the lead on a campaign to change a state's motto. God can take a stuttering fugitive named Moses and defy a world power and its army. God can take a young man named David and use him to flatten enemy's fiercest warrior. There is no problem God cannot solve, no mystery he cannot unveil. There's no sin, there's no weakness that he cannot overcome. There's no power he cannot disarm because with God, all things are possible. Now, this almost sounds like we've been given the gift of a MasterCard, right? With a, sort of an unlimited credit account. You know, you just go out and do whatever you want and, uh, and get it. Or it's like a genie, you know, where you rub the lamp and three wishes gets whatever you want. Name it and claim it. Well, not so much. Because God's agenda really is about bringing his kingdom here to earth. It's about things like justice and reconciliation and new life, making us more loving, making us more kind, more patient, having more self-disciplined. That's what God's agenda is. It's about changing us, changing our community, changing our world. And you know, when we are faithfully aligned with God's agenda, that's when we most experience God's all things are possible power. Now, often in the new members class, I, I tell this story that I want to share with you. I realize that some of you have heard it, but you get to hear it again. Uh, during my second year of seminary, I was a waiter, uh, waited tables Thursday, Friday, Saturday nights. My wife also had a job and had just uh, used her paycheck to pay off all of our bills. Good news was our bills were all paid. Bad news uh, was that uh, I was registering for classes the following Monday and we were out of money. Even worse, we still owed $220 from the previous quarter and in order to register, I had to pay that bill off. So it was all up to Thursday, Friday, Saturday night to get the tips that we needed to earn this money. But that didn't happen. Friday, uh, Saturday night came, the manager closed my station down, and I had $30 over those three nights. Well, uh, I couldn't believe it. So uh, I'm in the back, I'm kind of banging things around, cleaning up, and I'm having a conversation with God. It goes like this. God, seminary was your idea, not mine. <laughs> You've seen my bank account. We don't have any money for this. What is going on? Uh, not a lot of faith going on. It's not even a conversation. It's really God just letting me rant a little bit. Well, at about that time, a large group came into the, to the restaurant, uh, and turns out it was about 10 minutes to close. They wanted to eat. Well, no other waiter in the restaurant uh, wanted to wait on them, and I didn't have a life, so I said, well, I'll... <laughs> You know, I'll, I'll wait on them. 
So as I walked out to the table, there's one individual serving as the host, and he waved me on over. He said, young man, I had a great day at the racetrack today. We were about a half a mile from Santa Anita Racetrack. It's a horse track. And uh, he said, listen, I want to show you what a great day at the track I had. He took a $50 bill out and put it in my pocket. Now he had my attention. <laughs> then he said, you know, if you get our drink orders right, there's another $50 in there for you. Nailed it. <laughs> so within five minutes, uh, I have $100 in my pocket. And by the time I walked out of the restaurant, after having served that, that group and tipped out everybody that had helped me that evening, I had $220 in my pocket. Exactly what I needed. You know, Scripture tells us that we don't need to worry about what we will eat or about the clothes that we will wear. If we would just seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, God will add these things to us. Now, I'd like to tell you that every time we've been in need, God did the miraculous like that and provided for us. But uh, that isn't the case. But what I can tell you is that God has always found a way to provide. We are, you and I, simply ordinary people who place our faith in an extraordinary God for whom all things are possible. Now, faith is not a power. It's not something that we can make happen inside of us. Faith isn't something we can get more of by doing all the right things. And it's not something we can hold over God to oblige God to do the thing that we want him to do. You know, like if we pray more, we read scripture more, we give away more of our wealth, then God will see what great faith we have and he will heal the person we want him to or he will deliver us from the situation that we want out of. What faith is, is trusting in God's promises that God will do what he says he will do. Now, David was one of the people listed in Hebrews chapter 11. And one of the first times that he shows up in the Old Testament is in this battle with uh, Goliath. Every day, this giant of a warrior, Goliath, with a Philistine army behind him, would walk out and challenge Israel's army. And every day that Goliath issued this challenge, Israel's army got afraid and ran away. Now, David happened to come by with breakfast one morning, and he heard Goliath's challenge. His response was exactly the opposite of Israel's army. David wanted to stay and fight because David saw something different than Israel's army. You see, what Israel's army saw was the mighty warrior Goliath. David saw an enemy of the living God. And because God had promised to provide for and protect the nation Israel as his covenant people, his chosen people, David knew that God could take Goliath out somehow, some way. So David got out his slingshot and Goliath got the bronze for a Philistinian faceplant. There is this amazing contrast between this, in this story between David's response and the response of Israel's army. David, just an ordinary guy, focused on the promises and the provision of an extraordinary God, even though David didn't have the training or the equipment to do battle. Israel's army, on the other hand, focused on the size of this warrior Goliath and their inability to take him on. So they panicked and ran away. The difference between these two is in what they were trusting in. You see, our activity in life, it flows from our faith. 
and our inactivity in life, the stress we experience, the fear, it flows from our doubts. One person focuses on their inability, and so they panic. Another person focuses on the provision of an extraordinary God to do what he says he will do, and then they trust. So our part in the faith process is to live our lives making decisions, facing conflicts, difficult situations, growing our families, working in our place of employment, serving, as if God is really going to do what he says he's going to do. No one really knows what will happen tomorrow or the next day or the next day after that, right? I mean, who knows what the future is? But the only thing that we can hang on in uncertain future like that is the promises that we can count on. And when God makes a promise, he ties himself to our future with an unbroken loyalty. Having faith is simply taking God's promises out of mothballs and applying them to our everyday life. Now, Catherine made a commitment to follow Jesus when she was 25 years old. And not too long after that, she had a hard time continuing in her line of work of uh, venture capital and investments. She felt like she was a professing Christian, but that her life had become too self-centered and that she needed to give something away, give more away, particularly to people who were in need. So she started asking God for direction, what God wanted her to do, especially with this new heart she was experiencing for injustice and the business skills that she had and the net worth that she had. Well, one day she was invited to go to prison on a visit. And she was expecting to see men who were caged up like animals. But when she got there and met them, she realized how she had written these guys off as never being able to contribute to society. What she saw was incredible opportunity uh, and an opportunity to, to leverage these men's skills in order to build them up as leaders in the community. So she started flying once a month to Texas. She lived back east on the east coast. And flying once a month to Texas, in four months, as she taught these men business, they produced business plans. God was up to something. So she prayed, bring it on, God. Now that's a prayer. I love that prayer. Bring it on, God. Well, a few months later, Catherine felt like God was inviting her to leave her former life, to give up her job, sell her home, leave her neighborhood, and move to Texas to commit herself full-time to this ministry. And now, Catherine is CEO and founder of the nonprofit organization Prison Entrepreneurship Pro uh, Program. Her organization recruits senior-level business leaders to coach, to train, to mentor prison inmates as they study business and finance. Now, the national average for men reoffending and returning to prison after they've been released is over 70%. In Catherine's program, it's 4.4%. That's impressive. For men who've graduated through her program and been released uh, of the prison, 98% of those men are now employed. 98%. And of those who have graduated and uh, from her program been released, they have started up over 40 entrepreneurial businesses. Now, many people don't have a story like that. Uh, there aren't many people who have a story like that at all. And she will tell you that she's just simply this ordinary woman who put her faith in an extraordinary God. 
Believing that with God all things are possible, she cast a vision for a ministry to inmates and recruited executive level leaders in business to coach, to mentor, to train inmates as they uh, learned and studied about business and finance. Believing that God will do what he says, she gave up a former way of life, her job, her home. She moved to Texas, trusting that God would provide for everything she needed and everything this ministry would need. She stepped into what she believed God was asking, and now she has this ministry that many states in our country are asking for. You know, one of my favorite missionary heroes said this, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. Faith is better lived than described makes more sense when we see it in the life of another person than when we try and analyze it as if in a laboratory. Best place for faith isn't in a book somewhere or on the website. It's in the testimonies and the actions of people who've dared to believe and stake their lives on an extraordinary God in whom all things are possible and who will do what he says. We worship a promise-making, promise-keeping God who is faithful to do what he says he will do. The cross provides the proof but our unfaithfulness cannot undo God's faithfulness. It, uh, Jesus stayed on the cross because he promised that, or uh, Jesus went to the cross because he promised that uh, we, we needed a savior. And he stayed on the cross because he promised that he would lay his life down for us. He rose from the dead because he promised that through him we would have eternal life. All God's promises find their yes in Jesus Christ. With him, all things are possible. So this morning, what are you facing? What decisions are you facing where you need God to show up? What promises has God given you that you can trust in? What can you attempt for God that only he can make happen? See, shooting the pier isn't all that it's cracked up to be. But trusting in the all things provision of an extraordinary God who does what he says, now that's a ride.